0: Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined Podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's show. I just wanted to make a couple announcements before we get started. So first of all, I'm looking for more podcast guests. So if you're interested in being interviewed and sharing your story, please head on over to my podcast landing page. That's at motherhoodreimagined.com forward slash podcast dash home forward slash. Or you can just go to my website, motherhoodreimagine.com and follow the menu to podcast and find the sign-up form. If you have ideas for guests too, please shoot me an email at sarah at and let me know who you think would be a great guest. The other announcement is that the tribe signature level membership is now live. You can go to my website again and follow the links for membership and go ahead and sign up. Right now I have a Thinkers Triers group and an egg donation, embryo donation support group. In these groups, you get weekly access to me via video call with the rest of the group, an online community to talk about what's coming up for you, As well as tons of done for you research and reflection exercises, and really everything you need to kind of help you navigate this choice and this process without feeling alone. So, I hope you will join me. Now, let's get started with our guest. Today, I'm joined by Christine. She has two kids that are in their teens and preteens. And so, I'm excited to get her wisdom about raising kids as a single mother. Let's get started. Hi, Christine.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good, and also how I grow old and age into <laughs> teenagers.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> so, just to jump in, can you tell me a little bit about as a child what you thought your life was going to look like and what you expected?
1: Sure. I, you know, I grew up in the Midwest,
0: and so it was
1: in in the in the seventies. So it was kind of like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, and and then. I through my life, I did things that sort of supported the love of children. So I was a babysitter as a camp counselor. I taught Sunday school. So all through my life, I was always with children. And and then I moved out from the Midwest. After college, I moved out to California and sort of turned a whole new thought process.
0: Mm. And, and can you tell us a little bit about how that shifted when you moved?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I just I think I think being a young person in your 20s and you are in a I was living in San Francisco at the time so it's just like this whole thing of like wow this is exciting now I'm seeing parts of like my eyes are opening I'm seeing lots of different things and people and meeting all kinds of stuff I'm traveling and all of a sudden my view of my world expanded and so then kids just kind of get getting pushed down the line.
0: Mm.
1: And and then it was sort of like well now I want to see what I want to do in my career now I want to do this and then I want to do that and when I was thirty, I changed from working as a recreation professional, and I became a firefighter.
0: Oh wow! So
1: so now at thirty I started a whole new career and that was exciting, and I I thought okay well I tell you what when I'm thirty five if I'm not married, I'm going to go ahead and explore having children because I knew I wanted to have children. Well, 35 came along and I was still having a lot of fun. (laughs) And so then I'm like, okay, you know what? 40. If I don't don't get married by the time I'm 40. And so this time around, I think it became more and more important. It kind of came back into the forefront. And so when I was 39, I took about a year and went into therapy for a year and found a great therapist. Really, and the main focus of the therapy was around looking at what I wanted to do and looking at why, the motivation, the fears, the excitement, why I was doing it, was I ready to do it? And that was probably one of the best years I took. And so by the time, in fact, my 40th birthday, I believe I was six weeks pregnant. So wow. that was that all, came, it all, came, it all came around.
0: <laughs> awesome, that's very cool. So can you tell us a little bit about how, you got pregnant and how sort of that crucial time between the therapy and becoming deciding and taking the leap and getting pregnant
1: well i have i have to say i think i think the, the biggest crucial time was the moment i realized and i don't know if i read it on a single mom site cuz at that point i was perusing i wasn't on facebook at that point but i think there was some single mom like chat rooms out there like through yahoo And I joined those and I was kind of lurking in the background and kind of just checking things out. And, and I don't remember if it was something I, it's something I read in one of those or something that came up in therapy, but I realized that, you know what, I'm, I have a great social network and I have a great village of friends. And if I never got married, I'd be okay. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm active and I've, I'm doing things and I'm doing all this stuff. However, if I never had a child, I would always regret that. And I think the moment that became like, it was my light bulb moment that became clear to me. The rest of it was like, well, then that's just what we have to do. (laughs) That that was just so clear. The path was really clear. And so then it was just a matter of like, okay, well, how do I want to do this? And I, I, I did always want to, I had always had the, desire to try to experience pregnancy and childbirth and and have my own biological child I was not against any other form as a matter of fact when I was when early on in my firefighting career I explored being a foster parent Mm. because I thought that would be a great way to do it but unfortunately as a firefighter when you're working 24 hours you Mm. you would need to have had licensed child care for that time, I'd be gone. It was just totally cost prohibitive to mm-hmm. be able to do that at that point. But yeah, so, but, but I knew I wanted to explore that. So my neighbor, I'm really lucky to live in the Bay area because it's just, there's, there's so many other kinds of families that I'm around. So there's lots of resources there. And so like literally my neighbor down the block, I, my neighbors were these two women and they were going down the, road to of trying to get pregnant. And so they had an amazing reproductive endocrinologist that they were working with that they referred me to and that I went and met with. And that's kind of who became my, so it was kind of word of mouth. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. I just, I definitely didn't feel like I was doing this alone. It definitely felt like I was doing this with a lot of people who are all invested in the success of it. <laughs>
0: nice. Nice. And then, so were you, able, how did you end up getting pregnant? So I end up
1: using, um so I end up using a donor. And for me, when I went to go get the initial, well, for the initial meeting with the with the RE, she was like, Well, these are some tests you need to have before you start. And since either you could pay out of pocket for that here, because my insurance didn't cover her services, or you could just go and request these from your doctor. So I did all these tests first. And my feeling was, well, let's just take this as anything any kind of research project let's let's like thoroughly research it get all the information before we make a decision and so i went and did all the blood work and the then the make sure i had you know enough eggs to be able to do this and and so then when i went back to her with the results she's like okay i think you know this is this is uh, this could be this could happen these and she had a list already printed out these are the banks that i have used that i like their motility, I like their samples, I like their customer service, and you can use whoever you want, but these are the ones I really recommend. So I, I kind of took her word, jump of faith, and, and took her word for it. And then it was just a matter of there were certain things that were very important to me, in terms of a, a donor that I was looking for. For example, my family has diabetes in its in its history and autoimmune diseases so I was looking for someone that didn't have that and also it's very important to me to have a known donor because at some point if my children have questions I want them to be able to know what's on the other side of their family medical history as they get older and want to have children so those things were important to me and that just kind of narrowed it down and then I had friends come over and you know so it, it sounds very cliche but yeah we definitely did look at I had I had some. It definitely had some editorial help in f-
0: picking the final <laughs> result. <laughs> so you involved friends, or, mm-hmm. uh huh,
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I could have done this without my friends. I mean, you have to have a sense of. I don't know. I think. I for me, I guess for me, I had to have a sense of humor with it. It's like because we're doing something that you're kind of telling the world. You know what? For me, for my experience, I was telling the world, okay, you know what. I'm kind of giving up right now on finding the perfect mate, and it's like the, the clock is ticking, and I need to get going on this. So I need to be able to laugh about it in order to accept it and move on. So for me, it was like like the first time—I think my first insemination—when I'm, you know, lying there after everything's over on the table in my sterile gown. I remember thinking, yeah, I don't remember really this part of it and normally. You know, when, I, when you're when you're coupled, I'm like, I don't remember this quite so sterile. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I have put together sort of a guide on how to pick sperm donors. And I think that there's a lot of different methods. And some people, I think, really involve family and friends and have parties and, you know, find the humor in it. And other people are like, you know, spreadsheets, and they are churning the data and
1: going back over.
0: And, you know, other people see a psychic or, you know, who knows, I just think it's really fascinating to hear the different methods. And I think, what I tell people is just know how you make good decisions and try and, you know, bring that in or however it makes you kind of get over it and do it. Um, well, you
1: know what? And, and, and it's funny that you say that because it was something I wanted to say, too, that a big part of that was I, I so it was like for that part of it, it was very social and everything. But then there was another part of it, the like financial aspect of it, which was a little bit more not clinical, but I I, I didn't want to I think the fertility can be a huge rabbit hole you can jump down and financially you could spend a lot of money cuz you just think oh what it's like being at the craps table like oh if i just can play one more hand i'm going to i'm going to get it and mm-hmm. you know and you don't so for me cuz i'm kind of a budget oriented person for me, it was taking a finite amount of money and mm-hmm. saying, this is how much money I have. It's almost like a business transaction that I can spend towards this particular thing. For me, it was my tax return. I took one year of tax return and I said, this is the money that I'm going to spend towards this endeavor. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this includes, you know, I don't know, four vials of sperm. And if it, if I'm not pregnant at the end of this money, then I have to stop and reevaluate it. Mm-hmm. But I, it's like there's a stopping point to reevaluate before I go on. And that for me, that made it a little bit more, I don't know, comfortable, I guess, Mm -hmm. because I knew that, that there was an end point to that. And then I'm not saying it, I couldn't have gone further. Luckily I'm a pretty fertile person and I didn't have to worry about that. In fact, I ended up selling a couple of vials back to one of the other uh, families. And, and mm. we have a little grouping of people who all use the same donor. And I ended up selling a couple of vials to someone else because I didn't need them. But yeah, just it really helped to have an endpoint and not just to go in with the open credit card, and let's go. Mm Because that would have been a mistake for me.
0: Yeah. I I love that you say that. I approached it similarly. I mean, in my case, I was given sort of really bad odds, and I wasn't willing. They told me basically from the outset, you need to use donor eggs, and I couldn't wrap my brain around it. And so I basically did the exact same thing. I was like, okay, I need... I'm going to spend this amount of money basically rolling the dice and these – and I set out the things that I needed to do to feel like I had done my best at trying to use my own eggs. And at the end of that, I was like, okay, I think it's very easy to get sucked into. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just try this one more thing. So I always I always tell people to frame it not from do everything possible but do what you need to do in order to feel your best because right. – The possible—if you did everything that's possible, you could be doing this for a really long time and throwing. So I I, really—I think that's a good point to hear.
1: And we also have to remember that raise. I mean, it's one thing to get pregnant; you got to raise that baby, and you need some money to raise that baby, and you know, paying—you know, whatever it is on a loan that you had to take out. I mean, that's—it's great if you can do it. I just—I didn't want to be saddled Mm -hmm. with that because, as a result, because I was not in debt, getting pregnant. Meant I could use the money
0: to stay off as long as I could mm-hmm. That's off great. of work
1: and enjoy my. And enjoy that baby.
0: Right. So then it sounds as though you got pregnant via IUI for your first child pretty, pretty quickly. Or how many IUIs did you have to do? Yeah,
1: no, I was really lucky in both pregnancies. I got pregnant quite quickly and didn't use any, it didn't use anything. Although after the second, so I got pregnant with my first one after the second insemination. And at that visit, my, my doctor said, you know, if we don't get pregnant on this one, we are gonna probably want to look at maybe using some fertility drugs, which it was interesting. That hadn't come up to me yet, so it was it was kind of like, oh, okay, I gotta see how I, I gotta set with that and see how I feel about that. And it was a I didn't have to worry about it because that's I did get pregnant on that one. So I got pregnant on the second one with with just tracking my tracking the my cycle.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I was lucky.
0: And then your second. And that was that was around forty even
1: that was forty. yeah, wow. and then my second. yeah, so my second I was like forty four and my second I used a <laughs> I used a known donor, and that one was just more traditional method of insemination. and that actually just happened it was just like the first time we decided to have sex
0: wow that's great yeah and then do you mind talking a little bit about what your relationship is with that donor now
1: you know what he's not he has chosen to not be in the picture
0: so do you have any regrets around how you became a mother you know i i don't in fact you know it's so funny i tell
1: people these are the things i tell people uh, when they are like hey you know how is that going i say i look at people especially in that first year of infancy who have to be present and take care of that baby all day and then, you know, keep this being alive all day and then put them to bed and then sit down on the couch and then look across the room And this other adult person who needs a relationship with them, I don't know how they do it. I do not know how they do it. I feel like staying off, I feel like that first year, it was amazing being by myself because I didn't have to try to to split my focus of adult relationship versus relationship with my child. I could just be totally immersed in babyhood. And it was great. Having said that, it was, I feel like you really need you really need a village because there are times, I remember the first time my oldest had her first vaccinations, she spiked a fever and I did not have any Tylenol in the house and, or baby, you know, baby fever medication in the house. And I had to go out and get it. And it's like, okay, who stays with the baby right now? I don't want to drag this baby out in the middle of the night. And luckily I had a neighbor who could come over and just sit with, watch her sleep while I went and got it and came back. I also tell people that I think that being a single mother by choice versus being a single mother by divorce or anything. It's just a different way of looking at it. I say it's the difference is like losing your sight later in life versus being blind from birth. I don't know any different. Uh I don't know what it's like to have a partner. I don't know what it's like to have someone take the kids to the park so I can have a bubble bath. I don't know. So I, you know, for me, it's great. It's just what my, it's what my known is. I do wish I might have I would kind of wish I would have started earlier. I wish I would have started in my 30s. And just because I'm having so much fun with them now, I want to just keep having fun with them as long as I can.
0: Mm, yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself. I feel like all of that. I feel very similarly. It's like that first year when you're so intensely connected to your child. I oh, yeah. I can I feel like it feels so natural to have there be no other relationship that you're trying to attend to. So I I totally get it. So what would you say is the most surprising thing about your path and how things turned out?
1: I think, first of all, I think the best thing, the surprising thing is how amazing I think my girls are. And granted, I'm a mom. I'm supposed to think they're amazing, but <laughs> I have friends tell me they're amazing. So I know that they're amazing, but I just, I feel like I look at my kids sometime and I think I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. There's no way I raised kids this grade because they're awesome kids. They, they have, they're, they just are, they're going to be going places in life. And I, I told my oldest one, cause she, you know, she's. She's about to start high school next year. And I said, you know, when you and middle school is a challenging, kind of really ugh, emotionally unsettling time to be in. I said, you know, I said, when you come into your own, you I'm gonna just be blown away with what you do because I mean already what she like attempts to go and do and then and then it's like seeing this in middle school, it's like, wow, when you like get into high school and college and you really see how amazing you are, you're going to just blow me away. (laughs) Um, but, but, and how much I love hanging out with them as as they get older. It's like, I mean, I love, I love my babies and I loved like the toddler years and all those fun things, but as they get older and, and we're in the middle of the teens, they're still fun. I mean, granted, they get starky and they don't have great days and they roll their eyes at me and I get the, uh, but you know what? I just call them on it. <laughs> like, I like, you know, if you keep breathing that heavily, a lung might come out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I think I just, I look at them and I just am excited to see where their path is going because I know where my path went and now it's like they're on this path. And I, I told somebody the other day. I said, I feel kind of like a curler, you know, those, the Olympic sport. I said, because I feel like I'm the guy with the big concrete or the big granite curling thing (laughs) and he's on his knees and he's on his knees and he's looking down, he's looking down the lane and he's, he's pushing the stone out and he releases it so slowly And he's Mm -hmm. looking the whole time. And I said, I just feel like I'm right there. I'm just, especially my oldest one, I'm just like that slow release of the curling stone. And then I said, if there's going to be a time where I'm going to get up and I'm going to be the guys with the brooms that are, you know, scrubbing furiously to keep the path and keep the stone going down the right path. But I said right now, that's what I feel
0: i'm I'm that curler is just releasing it, and it's so exciting. It's just mm. such an exciting time. Mm, that's so cool. So do you think you're like being single, how has it sort of changed your relationship with your kids, and can you talk a little bit about I think I have still a very young child, so it's interesting to hear from someone who has older kids what it's like or what you know what has come up over time around being a single mom? with two two girls? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Cause you know, you just made me kind of think about it when, when they were younger, especially after I had
1: my second one, I would get a lot of, I wish we had a dad. I, I got a lot of that. I wish we had a dad, but then what I would do is instead of feeling like, I think sometimes we tend to, we tend to take that on and make us and, and feel bad about it or whatever. I would say to my daughter, what would a dad do? And inevitably it would be a dad would clean the house so you could go play with us or a dad would go grocery <laughs> shopping or dad would go to work so you could stay home with us. It would be this fictitious dad would always be doing the stuff so I could be home with them. Mm. And it kind of, it kind of was nice to see that because I realized that it's not so much that they needed a dad as they needed their mom a little bit more. And, and sometimes I could do that and sometimes I couldn't. And then as we've gotten older, as they've gotten older now, especially now that they're at an age where I can kind of leave them at home. My oldest daughter babysits and my youngest daughter's pretty responsible. So I can leave them at home for an hour or so. And then i so the other day I was like, so what do you girls think about mom starting to date? Because I really I I've not I've let's see, I maybe have gone on a couple dates, but it would be like things that were very very superficial and then I would have just met them somewhere and they wouldn't have come to the house. I wouldn't even let my kids know about it. Cause I feel like my big thing, a few things that when I was pregnant, I kind of thought about things. And one of the big things, was I want our house to be a place of safety and refuge and and bringing people in the house and back and forth was just didn't feel safe for me so my dating life was very separate from my, my parenting life and so the other day I was saying what do you guys think about mom you know maybe starting to date again and they were like no <laughs> they're like I'm like well, why not she was we like you having we like having you all to ourselves <laughs> I'm like okay well that's that's gonna stop pretty soon so now I'm kind of getting there but, but I had to say around dating I the other thing too is I work in a very non-traditional job and I work around men all the time so I feel like I kind of have my feel a lot of time with guys and so I don't really feel the need to date right now and now now I'm kind of feeling like I'm more interested in it but up to that point I you know it's like I just feel like the thought of like staying up to 10 o'clock and Telling people your whole life, like doing that first date interview, just sounds like incredibly not fun for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and have you dated at all during, since the, your kids have been born or? A couple times, but nothing really mm-hmm. to write home about. And you know what? And once
1: again, it's like, I really do feel like if I, if I date, if I meet someone, that's great. If I don't meet anyone, I'm feeling okay. I've got tons of friends and a very active life and you know, I, I, it's like it's now that the now that I've had the kids, that kind of fierce pushing to couple is kind of gone. It's like, eh, OK, that's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I completely agree so far, at least anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk a little bit more about how you've approached talking about having like a donor? or having donor siblings or is that a conversation you guys yeah. regularly have or
1: well you know what we I have a group of a few of us that have used the same donor and we've all gotten in and we've gotten in contact and I have told the girls that you know they've had they have like half siblings that are that use the same donor and there's been a lot of times where people have gotten together and they've gotten in groups and I it just has not worked out I'd be I'd be open for it yeah I've talked the girls from, I mean, the get-go, from the get-go, I've told them that, you know, we're a mom and kid and kid family and that their story, well, I told my oldest daughter's story. I haven't, I mean, she, my youngest one kind of just assumes and to the point I, like every birthday I used to tell my oldest daughter, like, you know, this is really what I wanted and I really needed to have, wanted to have a family and know we were here. And to the point she's like, I don't want to hear my story again. Don't tell me my story again. <laughs> <I'm> done. <laughs> but yeah, we've always been, we've always been very knowing that when the girls turn 18, they will be allowed to, I'll give them all the information and they can contact if they want to do that. That's their, that becomes their journey. If they want to contact the donor, that's their journey, and they take that on, and that's when I step out. Let's see, and then and then you talked about it because I, I my big thing is making sure that they're doing okay with their peer groups around their story, and so that begins before they're born because I think that the biggest part is that you as a parent have to be okay with your journey before your children can be okay with their journey so you have to be okay and you have to not feel shame or being uncomfortable when someone says so how's your husband dad liking this or whatever it's like you know you have to be okay and one of the ways we did it for for me is i never have said we don't have a dad or we're missing a dad or something i've always just said in response to adults and children because i think it's actually a really good response for children when they're like, hey, where's where's so-and-so's dad? And it's like, well, you know what? We're a mom and kid and kid family. And that usually is all they need. That's mm-hmm. So I never say, we don't have a dad. I just always respond that way. And if they keep asking, it, I just keep repeating it. And eventually, hopefully, they figure it out. But once again, luckily, where I'm living in the Bay Area, there's a lot of different family dynamics and a lot of different families and so they're all exposed. And I've always said to my children, as long as there's love, it's a family. It doesn't matter who's in it. As long as there's love, it's a family. And so we started that very young and that kind of went on. You know, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter has a very good friend of hers right now who is a single mother, who is, is a child of a single mother. And her mother is very adamant that she doesn't want her daughter to ever know who the donor is, and that's just another way of doing it. And so it's kind of interesting for my my oldest daughter for the first time, she's seeing, "Oh, there's another way I could look at this, and it's kind of nice to have that support. And then also, really, they've never I don't know. I think I think sometimes single mothers we try so hard to give our children what we would consider a normal childhood that in some ways, I think we do more than most more traditional families might no I think more present I think more adventures I think just more like those just those like you know I'm going to volunteer in the classroom and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and so we've been there and now now that my kids are getting into teenage years and this might be what your son will find out too a lot of our friends and a lot of their classmates are divorced, parents or children are divorced now and so they're constantly trying to Figure out, you know, there's constantly being shuttled back and forth from one family to the other family, and and so I think my my children at one point said, I like the fact that I don't have to go back and forth between two households and I'm just right here. Uh-huh. So you know, I mean, I think there's there's pluses and minuses for every situation and. The big thing is to not judge anything, you know, just be like, well, this is what we are. This is what we are right now. And I think it's also to to say, hey, you know what? I really like our family the way it is. And that's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. But you have to be OK with that from the get go, because if you're not OK with it, your kids, be comfortable with your choice before the baby is born, because if you accept it, other people accept it
0: and your child will accept it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Any advice on how to like if you were feeling uncomfortable about your choice or still feeling some sort of shame or regret would you have any advice for moms? Yeah,
1: I think I think you need to first of all own it and and not be ashamed of your shaming. You know, you need to own it and and know that it's not it's not just something that just automatically like is going to be, okay, here we go. I mean, you have to I think you consciously have to mourn your decision. You have to mourn the fact that your your dream since your childhood of the big wedding and the person with you that's gonna be with you all the time is not gonna be there. And then you have to accept the new path you're going down. I mean, our our, and one thing I can say as someone now in my fifties, and that is your path is constantly changing in life. And you have to be open to going down a different path if it presents itself. Because sometimes you don't have a choice and, you know, you you just, you have to be okay to do it and you have to be flexible to do it. And sometimes that means getting help down that path, whether it's a therapist, whether it's journaling, whether it's talking to friends, but you need to, the more you talk about it, the easier it's going to be. The first time I had to say, I'm a single mother by choice, did not come out as easily as it does now. Or the first time that I had to say, oh, we're a mom and kid and kid family and not feel like, oh, (laughs) that that took a while it didn't come naturally but now it's like I just look at it I mean part of it's the fact I think being in a non-traditional job kind of made it easier to go down a non-traditional path for motherhood having said that I have also I also work around a lot of very traditional males so it was a little interesting but I've I'm lucky in that I've I've had a lot of support or maybe I just don't know if I don't have support maybe I'm just kind of
0: have the blinders on and like that's where I'm going Or you can, you know, you can jump off. Nice. So, can you talk a little bit about how you, I know as a firefighter, you have like, I don't know if it's like 24 hour shifts or even longer, how you were able to juggle that kind of job with having kids and how you got help? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I feel like I was lucky in that. My job is nine days of 24-hour shifts, and that's my full-time job. So I feel like I was blessed because that meant I had like 20 days of being a mom mm-hmm. as a full-time job. So the hard part about that, and especially it was much harder when my children were babies because that was hard. I was lucky. I was I took a year off for each girl, so I was able to take a year off for my oldest and a year off for my youngest. Wow. So when they're when I was going back to work, it wasn't like... I was leaving a four week old, you know, Mm -hmm. that was helpful. Like they were already on solids and they were, you know, moving and it was great. Finding childcare was a challenge. I think you have to think outside the box. You have to think like, okay, I'm not taking my kid into a childcare center or a home thing, but what I would do, I would, I would just start looking at like, this is what I need. This is what I can afford. And can anybody that I trust do that? And for me, finding childcare that I trusted was huge because then I could go to work and I wasn't, and believe me, we've had some childcare, we had one childcare experience that didn't work out. It was just like the stress of being at work and let's say doing resuscitation and having my phone ring and hoping that it wasn't the childcare person calling to complain about my daughter was like, (sighs) so that didn't last very long. But so for me, it worked to have, to find people. I, I, I just used my, in fact, I'm still doing that. I usually go out amongst my Facebook community. Um, I I just spread the word of all the different, my church community, my scout community, all my friends. I just spread the word out. And usually so far I've been really lucky. Someone's always come up during that, doing that. And as a result, I've started, I had some amazing, amazing child care providers that helped me learn how to be a mom. Like the first, the first woman who watched my first child, she was a mother of four daughters. And I, to this day, I'd say she was my mothering mentor because she taught me like, Oh, at this age, when they're three and four and it's all about redirection and you know, and, and I never would have known that. It was just like, it just was like, oh, this is awesome. And then she would just help set boundaries with my daughter. And then I was able to kind of like, oh, that's how you do that. Because, you know, child motherhood doesn't come normal. It's not kind of a natural thing. You have to, you have to work at it and figure out what the heck you're doing. And then, and, and inevitably all the care providers I've watched my children start out as, as a business transaction. And
0: now they're just part of our family. That's great. That's great. That's, Wonderful to hear. So I guess you've probably had to have people who, I guess, stay at your house and that sort of thing and take the kids to school. And
1: Well, you know what? Actually, up until they, let's see, up until just like three years ago, I think, my child care person lived half a block from our elementary school. Mm. So what we would do is we'd get up in the morning. I'd have to wake them up at like 530 in the morning and we'd go over to their house and she had it all set up with like she was wonderful and made their like had got beds and and bedding for them and made them feel like it was part of their house and basically they would just come into their family for the the 24 hours when I was at work mm. and and that was really lovely to have and as a result coincidentally all the childcare people that I've had had been like a traditional home life so there's been a male figure to kind of you know be that I wouldn't say father figure but just kind of be that male role model so they've had some interaction with you know, that, that male dynamic, which is good. I think I I feel is
0: good. Mm -hmm.
1: And then after that, as my daughter and my, my, my older daughter went into middle school, then it became more of, and my childcare provider left to pursue education. She was a, she was a mom herself and she decided for her, it was great because she was a mom, And this way she could stay home and be her, she could continue to mother her son and be a stay-at-home mom. And I was providing a little income for her. And then she decided actually after that, that she wanted to go back and pursue a degree. And so then we found a younger, like college-aged girl who could come in. And at that point they were getting older and they're like, I don't want to wake up at 5.30 in the morning anymore. (laughs) And so then we were able to have her come in, the childcare person come in in the mornings and then kind of it it all kind of switched so then it became it came out of my house which was nice also but also not so nice too because then that meant I had to get up and clean my house and make sure everything was clean (laughs) before it was easy just to leave and the laundry's on the couch and you know there's some dishes in the sink it's all great and then all of a sudden like oh now I got people in my house and then the circumstances of my job has changed so now I'm in my job I'm working more of a traditional. A work schedule of five days a week, and so now it's really just needing someone to pick up and drop off my kids from school. Right. Because once they're all home, they can be home until I get home, and now I have weekends and nights and
0: holidays. It's so nice. Mm. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's that's helpful. I think it's really good for people to hear, you know, just the thinking outside the box, as you say, and figuring out the creative solutions. Right. That there is a solution to everything. Everything is figure outable. Yes, um. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and then would you mind talking a little bit about the choice to have two kids and how that came about for you? Sure. You know what? I, I, I was
1: totally happy with having one child until my one child was about two. And then all of a sudden I came from a family of two girls and I'm, and my sister and I have a very close relationship. And I just remember thinking, I really want to have another baby. I really want my child to have a sibling. And also my oldest daughter was like, I want a baby sister. Of course. Now, you know, now at 13 and almost 14 and 10, they're like, I don't know why I asked you for a baby sister. (laughs) Like when they get mad, like, uh, but no, they, and I wanted them to have that relationship. And also I think for me, knowing that I'm the only one, I'm the only parent. If something happens to me, that would just leave my daughter on her own. And and not, I mean, not that she would be on her own, but I mean, and I just, I don't know, for some reason that was, I just, it didn't feel good to me. And, but that was my choice. And, you know, I feel that everybody has to make their own choice for that. Yeah. So I I feel like, you know, it's kind of funny. I feel like being a mother, it's been a really defining role for me and learning and learning. I mean, I had to decide what gifts I wanted to give my kids, like, for me, I feel like my personal philosophy is we get to give like about two gifts to our kids, you know, clothing and love and food. That's not gifts. That's like, that's basic living, but you get to give these two gifts and I you get to decide what it is you want to give. And for me, I wanted to give my children the gift of empathy and the gift of adventure. And so it's, it's been really exciting to be able to give that to them. And also I think as a mother, we have to consciously, constantly examine our own morals and ethics, because that's what we're passing on to our kids. And so it made me like have to stop for a moment and look at like, what's important to me? Why is it important to me? What do I want my kids? What what do I want my kids to be like? And then pass that stuff on
0: to them, you know, I feel like I can do anything because my kids think I can do anything. <laughs> That's awesome. So in hindsight, knowing what you know now, you know, 13 years into motherhood, would you do anything differently?
1: Yeah, I'd definitely start earlier. And then I think yeah, I think I'd just start earlier. I, mm-hmm. think I, would, I I know, I think I would just start earlier. I I think I'm not tooting my own horn, I think We've done a pretty good job, my kids and I. We've done it together. We're doing it. We're making it through. And you know what? And I also think it's important to admit when it doesn't go as well. I think it's okay to say to your kids, you know what? We had a really hard day today, and it's okay. Because you know what? We'll have a better day tomorrow. And or we won't, but, but we are all still here and we're all still love. I always emphasize the love. There's always love. As long as there's love in the family, we're doing good. Uh-huh. Well, because a lot of times your kids get mad at you. And now as they get older, especially as they get like towards their teens, they're starting to learn and they're starting to feel guilty about it. You know, they'll get mad at you or they'll yell at you or whatever, they'll feel guilty. And it's nice when I see- I hear I can hear them come up and say, I'm sorry, especially with my youngest one that just started. I'm very excited about that and take responsibility. And then my response to that is,
0: you know, honey, you're still together. We love each other. And as long as there's love, all is good. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And when you say you wish you had started earlier, tell us why you wish you had started earlier. Well, you know, going through puberty and menopause at the same time is
1: not an easy thing. <laughs> you know? I mean, you really have to kind of watch the the hormones are coming in and going out at the same time. So, you know, I think that I think when you start earlier, you've got a lot of, it's, it's, it's a toss up. You start when you're, when you're younger, like in your 20s, You've got a lot of energy. You've got a lot of energy to take care of a baby. However, you're still trying to unpack your own baggage from your childhood and sort through it. So you might not have all the patience and parenting skills. Some people do, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have my forties. I definitely have a lot more patience. When I started, when it was in the throes of motherhood, I definitely had a lot more patience and a lot more parenting skills, but, you know, not as much energy. So it's just a toss up and everybody's different.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. I just think it's, I know it's the thing I say too, as I wish I had started earlier. I I sort of debated around the the decision for so long and it just, it, it felt so much like it was, I was making this. Decision that I had failed at partnerhood, and it was so tied up with that that I think that's now from the other side. I'm so happy being a single mom that that's why I wish I had done it sooner. But I just think it's nice for people to sort of hear. I think when you're on the precipice of that decision, it's hard to to like just do it and go for it. Right.
1: You know what? It's so funny. It's so funny. You said that in a very interesting way that you were you had had kind of coupled the the failure of finding a partner with the need to start single. I never did that. I just kind of was like, uh, okay, you know what? I need to let that go and focus on this now. It's like I didn't. I never said like I never. I, I never felt like a failure. I just was like, yeah, you know what? That's not a priority now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a priority now. Right. So it just it's it just you know once again different path and you just have to kind of go down it and see where it takes you.
0: Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give someone if they were at that precipice trying to decide whether or not to? move forward in becoming a single mom and they're worried and confused and don't know what to do?
1: You know what? I think I would, I would, I would reach out, I would reach out, I would get professional help to work through the issues so you can get to the other side. I think sometimes we're so frozen in fear, we're afraid to move, but movement either way can be so freeing. And and, and so you have to do whatever it takes, whether it's journaling or therapy or friends or, just kind of process reading books. I mean, and also get on the, there's so much, there's so many single mother groups out there to get on and start looking at people and listening to them and seeing what they're like. Cause I'll guarantee you there's more, there's people out there that are also thinking and worrying about stuff as well. But I think for me, it was important to look down the road and see how I envision how I saw my life 15 years from now. And if I if I felt really good looking at my life without children in it, and I felt like great, then then that's a great choice. I think some people are not everyone's meant to have children, and, and that's okay. But I think you need to consciously own your decision. That I think that's would be that would be my my final takeaway on that. You need to consciously own your decision, whether you're deciding to have children we're deciding to not have children, you need to consciously make that decision instead of just kind of flip-flopping and dilly-dallying until it's too late and then let that be your decision because that will always be an unsettled decision for you. Uh Whereas if you consciously choose to not have children, You've made that decision. You're good with it. Let's move on. Or if you consciously choose to have children, that's then that's, you know, it's like definitive.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: helps. And it helps. I think it helps us feel more settled.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. Thank you. So yeah. in what ways has being a mother been different than you expected?
1: I just think how much it's been a growth process for me. I think that's kind of what, I mean, I kind of expected, especially now that they're getting older, there's a lot more not push back, but I think holding me accountable to things like, you know, it's like now, now as, as, as they're getting older and they're seeing that their mom is not in this perfect super person and that I have to be okay with saying, no, I'm not. And that's okay. <laughs> but you still have to listen to me. Mm-hmm. And so I think just the constant self-exploration that you as a mother have to go through to make sure that you're teaching your children and also, oh, this is a big one, learning how to say no and learning to ask for help. That was a huge one. I have always been an independent person and I always was like, I can I can do it. And to be able to humble yourself and say, I need you to give me the gift of help. Mm-hmm. That is a great gift that you're allowing someone to give you. And it's it's a wonderful thing. And being able to say that and also being able to say no, that was a big one too. Was that was also that's <laughs> also that's what I've learned. Mm. That's how I've learned about being a mother. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. And what do you love most about being a mom? I know you talked about this a little bit before. Yeah, I think I think just the laughter and and
1: snuggles and piling into the piling into mom's bed first thing in the morning
0: mm. and just the joy, mm-hmm. the joy. Mm-hmm. And what would you say you like least about being a mother?
1: Childcare, having to find <laughs> it, having to keep it, having to find backup. <laughs> I'm in the middle of it. In case you didn't realize,
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you were so upbeat about childcare before.
1: <laughs> I was well, great, but right now I'm I'm in the middle of I we, our childcare situation just ended, and I'm, I'm in the middle of trying to find another person who it was just not a great fit, and so now I'm in the middle of trying to find another person who's a better fit. And I think my at this stage the girls respond better to childcare. I mean, it always seems to be girls that seem to respond better to women who are younger, like in, like in college age, because you know they're, they're like the. I like having the cool, hip, young focus when you know it's not mom, and it's just it's just for a little bit. So trying to find that right now is it always seems to be a process.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yes, I hear you. I think my son already <laughs> enjoys the younger people. Mm-hmm, it's funny. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I know. I know. Anybody that's not mom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Any other advice you would give to other women, or anything else you'd like to add at this point?
1: Yeah, I think that. My advice would be, because I wrote, I wrote a couple of things down. Stay off for as long as you can with your babies because you can't get that time back. So for me, I was really lucky. I was able to stay off for a year with each of them. And I have a specific story. I remember my oldest one, she was crawling. So she was probably, it was probably eight months, maybe, maybe. And I remember crawling around the living room and watching her. And she, she crawled over to our sofa table, which kind of is in line with the hallway. And she kind of was trying to pull herself up and she looked down the hallway and I watched her figure out that all these rooms that she'd been in are connected Mm-hmm. And I remember see, I remember just watching her that process and she took off down the hallway like to like, whoa, look at this. She like just all of a sudden it was like this whole like, like, and I just feel like if I had not been off in that, I would not have, I would miss that. I would miss that. So, you know, I would say if you can stay off as long as you can, don't be in a hurry to get back. It'll all be there. It'll all be waiting. Unfortunately, you know, our country has, you know, not a great track record of letting mothers stay off with their children, which I, other countries do, which I wish we could adopt those. And also it's okay to say it's okay to say I was wrong, I think as a mother and say, you know what, you know what, you're right. I was wrong. I apologize. Because that's you're teaching your children how to to own up when they make mistakes. We're not all perfect. And then also and I also say to try to avoid saying to kids and others we don't have a dad, which I've talked about earlier and implies that, you know, that there's an absence or that we're missing out. I always just say we're a mom and kid and kid family. And then be comfortable with your choice before the baby is born. If you accept it,
0: other people will. Your child will as well. That's my. That's my. Awesome! Thank you so much. It's been so lovely talking to someone who's a little further down the journey and has as much <laughs> parenting wisdom as you do. I really appreciate your time. If you liked today's episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe and leave a review. I so appreciate your support to spread the word about this project. If you'd like to hear more about my journey, please read my memoir, Motherhood Reimagined, When Becoming a Mother Doesn't Go As Planned. It's available everywhere books are sold. Next week, I'm joined by Marnie, another woman who used double donors and has an amazing story about how she ended up using the same donor as a great friend of hers. It's a great show, so don't miss it. See you next week. Bye for now.